Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. It's easy to stress over why the things we're doing for God aren't working. And in the first part of this classic message, Francis Chan brings us back to the foundational truth of John chapter 15. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and we can do nothing apart from him. Man, I, I just love being with you. I, I, I've loved being with the, the leadership. Um, I needed this so badly. Uh, because sometimes you just think you're, you're crazy, you're insane. You know, everywhere you go and then you come to a place like this and you go, okay, maybe I'm not so crazy. You know, or maybe we all are together. It's just, it's just one of the things where we go, I'm, I'm blown away. Honestly, I'm praying and just trying to figure out what to say because when I was your age, those of you in college, my mindset was nowhere near where yours is right now. I mean, to consider giving your life up to go to the ends of the earth and believing that Jesus is so worth it, that was so not in my vocabulary during those years. I just didn't get it. I, I, I grew up in a time when it was just, hey, pray a prayer, ask Jesus in your heart, and then just go do your own thing, and now you're not going to hell. There wasn't any concept of, of, of Jesus being so worth it that you would just deny yourself and pick up your cross and just follow him and go to the ends of the earth. And for some of you to be thinking that right now at your age, I get so excited for that. Um, you know, Jimmy asked me to share a few words just about my life because he said probably many of you don't know who I am. And, uh, you know, I... I uh, I mean, I, my, my mom died while she was giving birth to me. So I, I love that thought that this woman gave her life so I could be on this earth. My dad remarried and then my, my stepmother died in a car accident when I was eight. And then my dad got married again. He's a good looking guy. And uh, <laughs> obviously, um, he, uh, he got married again. Um, but then uh, when, when I was 12, my dad died of cancer. And so by the time I was in junior high, high school, I'm already thinking, hey, what's, what's, what's life about? You know, it, it, I'm very grateful for the deaths of my parents because it got me thinking at an early age, man, I, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Man, lately, one of the things I've been doing is looking at these countdown clocks that they give me at every, every uh, you know, conference, and I, and I just try to imagine, okay, what if that's a countdown of my existence? Like, what would I say during this time if I'm watching those seconds tick off and I'm about to come in the presence of God? And it's been so good for my soul because if I think that way, I don't really care what anyone thinks about me afterwards. I mean, if I know I'm about to face God in a few minutes, do you think I'll care what you think, right? It's like, I'm going to come before God. And it's just this mindset that God's given me ever since I was a kid of, man, it's not about the stuff here on this earth. Man, life is short. Went to school. Uh, I, was, I got saved in high school. Um, fell in love with Jesus in high school. And man, I started thinking about heaven and hell all the time. Like, okay, what really matters? I got to tell all of my friends about Jesus. I, I remember, you know, just, just different periods in my time. I remember being a junior in, in high school and grabbing my high school yearbook and looking at all the seniors that were about to graduate and thinking, I'm not going to see them ever again. 
And so I just started calling them, everyone I knew, one at a time. And going, dude, this is going to be the weirdest phone call, but I, I got to say something to you about something that's changed in my life because it was that real to me, this idea of heaven and hell, and I need to tell people about Jesus. Went off to a Bible college seminary and, and shortly after uh, met my wife, who I've been married to for 20 years now. Yeah. We, uh, we have... Uh, our oldest daughter is, is your age. She's in, in college, and uh, my wife is pregnant with our seventh child right now. And, uh, yeah. So obviously our marriage is good. Um, <laughs> but uh, shortly after we were married, actually two weeks after we were married, I looked at my new bride, and I was like, honey... I feel like God's wanting me to start a church. I go, we've never talked about this. And um, it's just happening now. I didn't know this. Like, like I really believe God wants, I, even just a few people in our house, I just want the real thing. And um, I said, so if you don't mind, I, I don't want to take any money from the church. You mind supporting us? Um, that's a weird thing to ask your new wife. Will you work and support us? Because I think God's calling me to start a church. And my wife just says, you know, I believe that God wants you to lead me. And if this is what you believe he wants you to do, then let's do it. And that was amazing to me, to have someone who believed in me and supported me and just said, I'll, I'll follow because I believe you're following God. That, that was a new concept to me, radically changed me. So I, I, I believe very much in marriage and what God created. And um, we started a church, and God just started to bless it. And before we knew it, thousands of people were coming. And 16 years later, you know, church plans, college, everything. I started to just wonder, going, God, I, something doesn't feel right. Man, I, I just, just, just realized that all these people are coming, and I, I even wrote a book, you know, called Crazy Love, and because, because I, was, I was looking at church, I was looking at my experience, and I was thinking about, man, ever since I was a kid, I would read this book, and, and then I would attend church, and I would just feel like, man, these are like two totally different things. Like I would read about the commitment level and the, and, and the miracles and the amazing things that would happen in this book. And then I would sit in a service, listen to a sermon, sing some songs and go home and go, gosh, is, does anyone else see this? And I thought that ever since I was young, but I never said anything about it. And I remember there just came a point in my life, I remember it was when I turned 40. I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to say it. I'm 40. I'm practically dead. Let's just say it. Seriously, you start thinking, man, I don't know how much longer I've got, and I'm going to come before him. And so I just started asking people, I go, man, don't you ever read this book and then just look at your life and everything you experience and go, man, maybe we're missing it. Man, I remember just looking at a bunch of college students, and everyone was looking at me going, yeah, I've thought that. I've thought that. I'll read this, and the power of, of, of a person coming from death to life. 
And, and I, I remember just talking to my church about it. And I go, gosh, it just seems like people bring people so that I'll speak to them. I'm going, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You can tell people about Jesus. And I said, I'm concerned about our church because I hear the words Francis Chan more than I hear the words Holy Spirit. And we're going to go nowhere with that. And it just became this burden that we, we, we can't just go to people and rely so much on them. But each person has to understand their gifts. And, you know, we, we create this system where people didn't want to talk about Jesus. So it's like, well, bring your friends to church and the pastor will talk about him for you. You know, bring your kids and my, my, my child care workers will disciple them. Bring your youth and my youth pastors will disciple them. Bring your college students. My college pastors will, will, will work it out for them. You know, we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll take care of it. You just let, let us do it all. Man, I, I even remember early on when I was a pastor, this, this one pastor was talking about this, this Christmas program that he had, this play, you know, where they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally, and they had people come, and, and I'm not against all this. They're, they're, it was a wonderful thing. He, they had people rehearsing. He goes, man, they would come for months. They would spend like 20 hours a week rehearsing, and they would do this for months. And then he would talk about the wonderful things that God did through that, and I go, man, that's so good. And I remember going up to him afterwards and going, man, that's so cool. But I just wanna ask something. I go, all those people that were coming to the church building to practice, I said, if they had spent that 20 hours a week talking to their next door neighbors, and inviting them over to dinner, wouldn't that have accomplished a lot more? And it would have been free? And, and he, this was his answer. He said to me, he goes, oh yeah, absolutely. He goes, but no one's willing to do that. And I, I remember back then as a young pastor, I just said, oh yeah, you're right. But that's not my answer now. I mean, back then I was like, yeah, you're right. They're not going to actually talk to someone about Jesus. You know, so, so let's, let's lower the bar. Oh, you don't want to talk to your neighbor well? Will you dress up like a reindeer and sing? You know, come on. And uh, okay, okay, well, let's do that. And we just kept lowering, lowering and making it so that it takes no courage. That we don't have to depend on the Spirit's power to believe that, you know what? You made me to be a witness to go out and talk to people about Jesus. And so it was just this desire to see the church grow and say, you know what? You've got power. You can lead others. You can make disciples. And as we started heading down this path pretty soon, me and the elders started asking a question like, Francis, do you think maybe you're even getting in the way in the church? of that happening, like everyone's so used to you and dependent on you, that, that, that we began to just ask the question, could it be better for our church if I left? And we began to pray about that and think about that. And there came a point when I looked at my wife and we were just talking about our future and we just thought, you know what, it's, it's time. It's, it's time to, to go. It's time to try something else. It's time to step out in faith again. You know, because you can take steps of faith at different points in your life, but you, before you know it, you get comfortable again. And you set things up so it doesn't require faith anymore. And to take that step again each time is difficult. 
And remember, my wife just looked at me at that time, and she just says, Honey, if we know that God has us somewhere else, shouldn't we just sell everything we have right now and then just go and have no home? I'm like, really? She was pregnant with our fifth kid at this time. I go, seriously, like just sell our house, pack everything up, and then just have no idea where we're going. She's like, well, yeah, if we know that this isn't where God wants us. And I'm like, you're the pregnant one. I'll go, you know, let's do it. And man, we, we just, we went overseas. Um, and we just prayed as a family, God, is this it? We went to India and go, God, is this where you want us to stay as we walked around? Like, God, we don't have anywhere to go. Man, it was, it was so freeing. It was so amazing. You would think that would be the most insecure time, but it was the most secure we felt in the Lord. It was like, gosh, this is awesome. God's with us. We'll go anywhere. You know, we went to China and, 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 and looked at the underground church and was learning over that. And man, I was blown away. This is what I'd always read about, what I always imagined. Like, wow, that looks like that came right out of the New Testament. You know, I, I would hear, you know, I, I remember this just sitting in the underground church in China when they were training people and, and, and they said, you know, you can take one of your kids with you, but you can't bring the whole family. It's a little dangerous. We don't, you know, so I took my oldest daughter and she was the most expendable and, and we went and, and I remember just sitting there listening to these stories of persecution and I'm just asking more and more and they're looking at me like, why are you so into this? And I go, because this is not what we do in America. We don't get persecuted like that. I go, we have buildings that we call churches. And, 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 and you go, and if you don't really like the teacher, you go to a different one. And if you like the music better somewhere else, you'll switch. If the child cares better, you switch. If you get in a fight with someone, you switch. And we just say, I go, it's very different in America. And these people started laughing. I mean, I wasn't even trying to be funny. I was just like explaining, like, this is what we do, you know, Easter, Christmas, you know, and they're like, they're laughing. And even afterwards, my daughter looked at me, she goes, Dad, did you hear the way they laughed? I go, yeah. She goes, you weren't even being funny. I go, I know. I mean, they're laughing hysterically, but it was just so crazy to me that it hit me that it's like, wow, they laugh at what we call church, what we call Christianity. They just don't get it. They're just going, how did you get that from this book? You know, what, what, what happened to going out and making disciples and, and actually risking your life and being rejected and following the footsteps of Christ? I mean, it was just this eye-opener. Then being in India and speaking to a bunch of people who had, who had lost family members because they, they, had been, they had been killed, martyred for their faith, seeing people missing limbs with scars all over their bodies, telling me their story. And I remember I was supposed to get up and speak, and I'm just going, I have nothing to say to you. I, I, I don't even get it. You're in this other world. All I can say is thank you because you're an example to me. And I look at your life, I want to live like that. And after a few months in Asia, man, I just, we thought we were going to be in, in Hong Kong. So we, you know, started looking at apartments and schools for our kids. And I just really sensed the Lord speaking to me and saying, you know, you, you, you kind of chickened out. 
there in, in America, you, you didn't really finish. You got a little scared and all the criticism got to you. And there's some things you haven't finished. And I believe the Lord wanted me back here to join with others and saying, no, you know what? The church in America can change. You know, we, it, it doesn't have to be just on our missions trips that we live like missionaries, but that we, we don't, you know, that, that we, we're soldiers. Yeah. Where the Bible says we don't get entangled by civilian affairs. And I remember getting back in the airport, flying to the U.S., sitting there at the airport in China, and no one wanted to go back to the U.S. because of everything we experienced in Christ. And I gathered my wife and my two oldest daughters, and I said, what are we going to do? Because I don't want to sink back into this comfort. I want to really live for the kingdom. But you know all the things that trap us out there. And I remember my wife looked at me and says, you know, just when we go back, we can't let people talk us out of things. She says, that was our problem. Sometimes we read the Bible and we knew what God said. We could see it in his word. But then we get around some church people and they start talking and rationalizing and, and talking us out of our convictions. And she goes, when we go back, we can't let that happen. Don't let people talk you out of things. And now I'm in San Francisco. Man, a lot of, lot of great things are happening. But I, I just want to, the thing I want to focus on is what my wife said in the airport that day. Like, don't let people talk you out of things. Because when I think about you guys and, and your focus right now, I go, man, don't lose that. There's going to be so many lies thrown your way. There will be so many temptations, and you know that in your life right now, that will try to derail you. I mean, you're on the right path. You're focusing on him, but everything is going to be distracting you. So many lies where Satan is going to make you these false promises and make you think that it's going to lead to life. But he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You start pursuing those things, and you're going to find the emptiness of it at some point. And so I've just been praying, God, protect them. Protect these guys. Like I said, I, I didn't um, have your mindset at your age. But I wanted to share something that I've learned in the last 30 years of ministry. One of the main things is that things aren't going to work out the way you think they will. Um, and I spent a lot of years stressing out, trying to serve God, making things happen a certain way. And I know some of you right now are trying to figure out your life. And you're kind of stressing yourself out, going, man, do I go here? Do I go here? Do I go here? Am I in the will of God? And then what if I go this direction? Am I going to mess this up? Am I going to mess that up? And you're trying to plan. And, and, and something I learned is just I, I overestimated my own ability to build the church of Christ. And I underestimated his desire to build his own church. And I just kept working and working and working. And, and like, like in Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. 
I saw myself just trying, striving after things. And yet there's other times when I just prayed, just did my thing, just walked closely with the Lord, and the way that stuff came together. Because later on in that psalm, you know, it, it, it talks about how in vain you rise up early and you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It talks about the one person that's just stressing out, going, man, how do I do this? How do I do this? And yet his beloved, he gives him rest. In fact, some people say you can interpret that passage saying that he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Where it's like, I'm just resting and God's working somehow for my benefit. If you don't believe me, Ask someone around you. So those, those of you in college, look for an old person. They're, they're easy to find. Um, and just say, did things work out like you thought they would? You know, And, and, and to a person, it's going to be, no way. I never thought I'd be in this place. Man, when I was your age, I would never have dreamt I would be in this place right now. I hear that over and over and over again. So I'm just saying to those of you in college, just calm down. You know, don't stress yourself out because it's probably not going to work the way you think it will. And just stay close to the Lord. See, you've been given an impossible task, an impossible mandate, right? This is impossible. Jesus is telling you, I want you to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. I want you to talk to people and get them to believe that Jesus Christ, not what they've believed their whole life and not what their ancestors have believed for generations. I want you to get these people to believe that Jesus Christ, whom they've never even heard of, was the son of God who came down on the earth, took the form of an infant, eventually died on the cross paying for all of their sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and one day is coming back to judge the world? Like, like that's, that's all. You look at that and you go, God, that's impossible in this world that's so hostile towards the cross. In this world that's saying, why would you judge them? Just let them believe what they're already believing. How can you tell there's only one way that's so arrogant and yet that's our job? Knowing that that is seemingly impossible, the dumbest thing we could do is just try to use this to figure it all out and say, I'm going to figure out a strategy. I, I, I'm going to get these people to believe. You guys, we're, we're talking about getting people to surrender their whole lives to this story, to this Jesus, which is obvious to us who know him but it's the most ignorant thing in their minds to believe what we believe. So how do we do it? How do we pull off this world mandate, this command? I'll tell you how not to do it. We don't do it through worldly strategies. I, I, I mean, that's, I was taught worldly strategy. I was taught, you know, when I was a youth pastor, get the quarterback and the head cheerleader 
get them to become Christians, get them into your youth group, and you'll have the rest of the school. And yet I look at 1 Corinthians 1, and it seemed like God actually chose the people that no one else would choose. It was like the foolish, it was like the fishermen, the tax collectors that God chose. And I found myself early on almost showing some favoritism, which is the exact opposite of what God called us to. And you'll run into this too. It's not that you'll give them the best seat in church, but sometimes we'll give our attention a little extra attention to those who have a little more money because they can fund our mission trips. And it can start sneaking in there where you start putting one person above the other and strategizing and figuring out how this is going to work. And for those of you who are going to raise money for your mission trips, I guarantee you again, it's not going to come from where you think it's going to come. It's, it's just crazy. God just humbles us that way and says, I'll give it to you, but it's not through your strategy. I look back in life, man, the greatest things that have happened in my life were not things I could have planned. And yet how many times have my strategies failed? The scripture is clear. Fruit, lasting fruit, comes from loving God deeply and loving people deeply. I know that's very, very simplistic, but it's exactly what Jesus said. I want to read some words of his. This is before he was, he was heading to the cross, his last few hours with his disciples. His disciples know the task at hand, and they know that Jesus is about to die on the cross, and, and, and they're, they're afraid. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a counselor. There's going to be this other one. But then he makes some remarkable statements. And I just want to read from John chapter 15. Okay, I'm going to read from the Word of God. And I know sometimes at conferences, we look more forward to someone's explanation of God's Word than just hearing the pure Word itself. And, and, I, and, and he's like, okay, okay, well, we didn't bring you out here just to read words. But I'm saying, look, try right now. I'm going to read through some verses in John 15 and make this the highlight right now. Imagine Jesus himself. I mean, if Jesus came here right now physically, in, I mean, in the flesh, that'd be the highlight, right? I mean, that video was pretty funny, but... The highlight would be Jesus came and these words came out of his mouth. Okay, this is exactly what we're talking about right here. This is coming from Jesus himself. John chapter 15. Right before he heads to the cross, he has some words with his disciples and he says this. This is Jesus speaking to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He says, if you abide in me, he is the one that's going to bear much fruit. Look, I struggle with this. I'll see people on the earth doing amazing things, and I'll start thinking, man, maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I should have done it like him. Seems like he's accomplishing more. Seems like she's accomplishing more. We'll look at all these people everywhere, and we start trying to follow all these patterns. Instead of just going back to, wait, 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 God, you promised if I just abide in you and you abide in me, I'm guaranteed to bear fruit. Are you abiding in Jesus today? Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love Podcast. Join us next time for a new episode, but until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org.